So this morning we are continuing our series at Dear Church, which is a look at the letters that Jesus Christ sent to the seven churches of Revelation. And we're looking at these letters not because, not because they're good just for the churches that they were written to, but because these letters are also meant for us. This is why at the end of each letter, Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This means that we are to hear the encouragements and the challenges that are given to each of these churches, and we need to ask ourselves if they apply to our church and to our lives for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Now, today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'll have the slides up here. Always encourage you to open up your Bible or turn on your Bible and to follow along. Uh, it's Revelation, so it's all the way at the end. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat below you and uh, all the way in the end, and you will get there. Um, now, today we're going to focus on the topic of sleep. Everybody loves the topic of sleep, right? Amen. Just not during church service, just to be clear. So to prep us for this message, I thought I would share some fun facts about sleep. Uh, these haven't been completely verified, but I found them on the internet, so I'm sure they're true. Uh, the longest period uh, that someone has ever gone without quality sleep is like 11 days. I think it was a, uh, a mother of multiple children who homeschooled. Thank you, but 9 a.m., they were like nowhere to be found on that one. Humans... Humans are the only mammals that are willing to delay sleep. If you have a pet, you understand this. Speaking of animals, and this is literally the cutest thing I have ever heard. You may already know this, that otters, otters hold hands when they sleep. Is that not the cutest thing in the world? Like, I want to run out and get pet otters. It's like, so adorable. Uh, they say that after five minutes of waking up, you, you instantly forget 50% 50, 50 of the dream that you had the night before. Uh, I thought this was interesting, that it's not uncommon for people who are deaf to actually use sign language when they dream. Dysania. It's the state of finding it hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> Frank. <laughs> Did you just start patting your wife's shoulder when I said that? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> if you hit him, we will, we will not bat an eye. So next time you wake up for work and you're late and you don't want to get in trouble, you say, boss, I just came down with, you know, dysania. And it has to be a real thing, right? It's a real thing. Now, even though we may not like to hear it, getting too much sleep is a bad thing. It is a bad thing. It can have both <laughs> physical, it can cause physical problems, and it can cause emotional problems. Too much sleep can be a bad thing. I bring this up because today Christ is going to talk about how too much sleep as Christians, spiritual sleep, is bad for us as well. Devastating to our role as Christians and as the church. Now, if you're visiting here today and you're still trying to figure out like who God is and if he's worthy of your faith, this message is mostly directed at people who have claimed to put their faith in Christ. But what I'm hoping it will do for you is it'll help you understand the difference of someone who is truly following God in their lives and those who are just using the name Christian. What I hope today for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, I, I hoped to take on a position that existed a long time ago, way back before alarm cocks. There are people that were paid and hired. They were called knocker uppers. And the reason they were called this is they would come around to your house in the morning they with a long stick, and they would tap on your bedroom window. 
to wake you up. You would pay them to do this. Some of them would use pea shooters to wake you up. And in fact, this went on in Britain until the 1970s in some towns. Now, I know some of what some of you are asking is who woke up the knocker-uppers, right? Well, they did night shift. They would normally sleep during the day. And so that's my goal is today, my prayer is today, for those of you who have put your faith in Christ, that I will serve that role today, today, that I will help wake some of you up where you need to be woken up in the Lord. So to do this, we're going to start by reading the letter that King Jesus sent to the church of Sardis, or Sardis, either way will work. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then, what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life, and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. So Sardis was a wealthy and influential city, modern-day Turkey. They were known mostly for their exporting of wool, which, fun fact, some tennis balls were made out of. Anybody, any tennis players in the house? Got a, yeah, one there, a couple. Yeah, made out of wool, some of them. They were also well-known because they were a huge military fortification. They were on a huge plateau. And they were also a big religious city. In fact, they had a Jewish synagogue that was the size of a football field. Huge. Now, about a thousand years after this letter was written, they fell into decline until they were finally conquered in the late 1300s, 1400, probably by the Mongols. But when this letter was written, they were alive and well as a city. The problem was the Christian church in Sardis was not alive and well. He starts his letter by saying, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Through the Apostle John, King Jesus says, I see what you're doing. You're doing stuff. You're doing good things. People know of you, but you're a dead church. You know, and I was reminded of a scary realization as a pastor when I was reading this passage that a church can look alive on the outside and it can still be spiritually dead on the inside. So what does it mean to be spiritually dead? Well, there's a few things I think it could mean. Now, the one that was probably meant the most, that was the cutest sneeze I've ever heard in my life. That was adorable. I am not kidding. I have ugly sneezes, but that was cute. All right. Probably the characteristic that explains Sardis as a dead church was that they fit in with the world. They were there, they did good things, but they fit in. They looked like the world that they were in. Like, have you ever noticed there is, in this whole letter, there's no mention of persecution? None. No mention of persecution. 
Why? Because they were not fulfilling their purpose. And what is that purpose? We see it in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, name the Father, the Son, and who? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Right? They just fit in with the culture. They were not offending anyone. And the gospel is offensive to the world. To tell somebody you're a sinner, you're not worthy, is offensive. To hear that there's a God who is going to judge your life is offensive. To hear that you need to submit your life to God to follow him and obey his teachings, his commands, not pick and choose, is offensive. They had stopped preaching this message. It's not out of the ordinary. It's very common. We see churches, many churches today, who have stopped preaching this message. They preach a message of, you're awesome, and God thinks so. And people flock to them. A church is also dead when it worships the past, where the people in the church want to keep everything comfortable for themselves. They're not willing to change anything, even if it means reaching more people who are lost. This is probably the biggest struggle I've seen in the American church. I'm part of this huge pastor's forum. And the number one problem that I see pastors post time and time again is nobody wants to change anything in this church. And so what do they do? They slowly shrink and die off. There are churches that rely on, hey, we've always done it this way, as opposed to seeking the Holy Spirit on what God is calling us to do next and having the confidence to take a step out in faith. We have some churches that just go through the motions. They may have beautiful facilities, large attendances, fantastic music, but it's just a ritual, a routine that they go through. If the Holy Spirit were to remove himself from the church, nobody would even notice. In the end, they are all what Jesus called whitewashed tombs. They look pretty on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. And I had to sit there as a pastor, and I'm sitting there Friday, and I'm like, man, it, it, if I could hear what King Jesus was saying about Echo Lake Church, what would he see? Would he see a church that is alive, or would he see a church that is dead? Then I thought to my own life, and I, and I pray that you would reflect on this. If, if Christ were to look at your life, because the church is not a building, the church is made up of people following Christ. People are the church. If he is to look at your life, and he looked at the inside of you, outside of the good things are you doing, are you alive or are you spiritually dead? And he brings a strong word of warning. In verse 5, he says, The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never, listen, blot his name out of the book of life. Look at that. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes. Notice it says, not the one who prayed a prayer once or got baptized once and then went back to their old life. Because a lot of people, they, they claim their faith, yes, I'm a Christian, because at one time they prayed a prayer to put their faith in Jesus, or they got baptized, but nothing changed after that. What we do to here today in baptism is a symbol of a choice that they are making to follow Christ as their Lord. This letter the whole Bible, it offers a serious warning to those nominal Christians who just rely on some past experience to say they believe in God. Now, don't get me wrong. This does not mean we earn our salvation or that we are perfect. 
by any means, but it means that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord. That's as it says in Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be, what church? Saved. You see, there's a difference between looking to somebody as a Savior and as a Lord. If I, if I, if I'm in my house and I have a heart attack, and I'm married to a nurse, so she'd probably revive me unless I really made her mad that day. But let's say she wasn't a nurse, and I, she called an EMT. They'd come in. They'd save my life. I'd be so thankful. They would go about their business, and I'd go back to my life. That would be the relationship dynamic. But if I say someone is my Lord, there is a connection. There is a responsibility to follow them beyond one experience, but for the rest of my life, because they are my Lord. And this is how you can understand this reference to blotting their name out. You see, in the ancient world, a king kept what was called a register. And it was of all the citizens under their rule. And if someone committed a serious crime against the state or they died, what that happens is their name will get erased. And they would lose access and benefits to all the things that being a part of that register meant. And in the same way, That is what happens to those who do not live a life with Jesus as their Lord. That's what scripture is warning us here. I asked this in the 9 a.m. and I'll ask it again today. If today you were to breathe your last breath, would your name be there or would it be erased? So Sardis is dead. And Jesus says, look, here's the answer. Let me tell you what you need to do. He says, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. He says, you're sleeping. You don't realize that you're asleep and you need to wake up. So here's the interesting thing about falling asleep. You don't know when you fall asleep. Nobody knows when they fall asleep. I remember when I was a kid. You know when you're ever a kid, you have crazy little goals? It was my goal to know the moment I was going to fall asleep. Anybody ever done that? Was that me? Only? Thank you, Frank. I don't know if that makes me feel more comforted or not to know we're the only. Yeah, all right. I appreciate it, though. But you never know when you fall asleep. Now, you know when you're getting sleepy, eyes get heavy, you begin to yawn, your body starts to weigh, weigh down, right? But you don't know when you actually are asleep. Now, what you do know is that you're going to fall asleep. Every one of us, we know that at some point today, we're probably hoping it's mid-afternoon, but we know eventually, this evening, we will fall asleep. Every single one of us. It's going to happen. We all know this. Even though we won't realize when it's going to happen, we know that we will fall asleep. I think this illustration is exactly how we avoid becoming spiritually dead. Just like we know that we will physically fall asleep, to avoid becoming spiritually dead, Christians must know that they are going to spiritually fall asleep if they are not careful. Tim Keller, when writing on this, he says that churches and all Christians will naturally go to sleep if they do not actively keep themselves awake. What's important about this is if you realize because of my sin nature, my desire for comfort, our selfish nature, that I'm eventually going to spiritually fall asleep, that I am going to, if Jesus is my Lord, work to keep myself awake. Like when, I, when you're driving along the road at night and you start to get sleepy, which is like a bad time to fall asleep, right? What do you do? 
Some of you start slapping yourself, right? Maybe you pinch yourself. You start pumping your arms really fast. You know, like get the blood going, right? You take a drink of your, you know, your 15-shot espresso or your 19th monster drink for the day. You turn up your music really, really, really loud. You roll down your window, stick your head out, make a phone call. You try to keep yourself awake because you do not want to crash. You know, it's important to stay awake. In the same way with us as Christians, we have to know that if we don't keep ourselves awake, we're going to eventually fall asleep. We're going to fall asleep. We're going to lose our focus of what we were here, put here to do as church and as Christians. I mean, just like when you get on a couch and you get tired, what you start to do? You start to slouch into that couch, don't you? It starts to form around you. You're comfortable and you fall asleep. And in the same way, we get comfortable. If we're not careful, the Bible starts to get put on its side. We stop praying. We stop getting up every day, realizing our number one mission goal in life is to follow Christ and spread his gospel, right? We stop serving. We stop talking about Christ. We get comfortable. The comf- we, we, we don't get out of bed on Sunday morning for church. We spiritually begin to fall asleep. And King Jesus says, you cannot do this. You got to wake up. Remember what Revelation says about churches? They're lampstands. Their job is to hold and shine light. Christ be in the light in a dark world that needs it. That is our job. That's our role. He says, can't let your light dim. It's your whole existence as churches. And what is scary to me because I can, this can happen to me just as much as it can happen to you, is that if we don't work to keep ourselves awake, that we'll fall asleep and we won't even know it. We won't even know it. Some of you here today, listening to my voice, you are spiritually asleep probably, and you don't even realize it. And not only does it damage our ability to share Christ with a world that desperately needs it, but it damages our own walk with God and the way that we view the world. And here's what I mean. When you're asleep, you're not controlled by reality, right? You're controlled by your imagination. You're controlled by phantoms, things that you're dreaming, okay? You can't tell the difference between reality and a dream when you're dreaming. And if you're like asleep and your house starts on fire and, like, and your, your wife or your spouse is like, wake up, wake up, and you're like, yeah, 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 we get me in the morning, take care of it, and you're back to sleep. Because you can't tell the difference. You're asleep. It's not real to you. Even though the danger is real. And with that in mind, let me tell you what falling asleep spiritually looks like in your life. It means that your imagination, the way that you perceive things, it's more real to you than the truth of Jesus. If you're worried, held down by anxiety, it's because Jesus' wisdom and his word is not more real to you than what you perceive going on. If you're angry and bitter, it's because the peace of Jesus is not more real to you than the cause of that anger and bitterness. If you're depressed, it's because Jesus' joy is not as real to you than whatever's causing it. If you're all constantly concerned about what others think of you and what you look like and what you're worth, it's because the value found in Jesus is not as real to you as the value that's found in other people. 
Let me give you another example. Some of you, you feel unworthy. You feel guilty, like God could never forgive you, like you're the one exception to the rule. The things that you've done, the things, secret things that nobody else knows about, the things that you can never live down, the, the, those of you that you beat yourself up all the time, your problem is that your sins are more real to you than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you need to wake up. You need to wake up because when you wake up, the death and resurrection of Jesus becomes more real to you than everything else. If you feel like you cannot be forgiven, you're not confident in, in what Christ did for you, it's because you're asleep. And you may know it here, but it's not here. I've talked to a lot of people and I'll say, hey, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And I'll be like, okay. You ever tell somebody something and they're like, okay, and you're like, you know, it's hitting a wall? They're like, whatever, just stop talking, right? When I say that to somebody and get that response, it's because they are not awake. They're like the person asleep, wake me in the morning while their house is on fire. Jesus says, you need to wake up. But it's not just kind of, I love the Greek. You know, Greek is so deep. There's so many meanings sometimes behind a word that we, we don't get when you just read the English. And, and the word here for wake up in the Greek, it means to a watchful awakeness. Like, have you ever been asleep at night? You know, some of you, you guys are rock solid sleepers. You can't hear a thing no matter what. You just can't hear a thing, right? Some of you, like, if there's a bird six miles away that chirps, you're like, Right? Okay, and you know, there's a lot of probably bitterness towards those of us who never wake up, but that's another sermon. But if you're ever sleeping at night and you hear something, like a loud bang, and you're like, you know, like somebody just broke into your house, what do you do? You, get, you grab your foot, your, your, your slippers, you grab your robe, you grab the bat, right? And you're like hopping down and you're ready. You're winding up, you're checking the hallways, you're looking, and you're going to take out that evil, Right? You're aware, you're awake, you're watching out, you're checking the doors, you're looking out the window, you're on the ring camera. This is the kind of waking up that Jesus is talking about. Have you ever been so tired, like you, you're sleeping and you hear a loud bang and you know someone's probably just broke into your house, it's so loud, but you're just so tired, you're like, I should check this out, but I'm too tired. If they get me, I've had a good run, I'm just... <laughs> And you're back to sleep. You ever had that? Because you're just so tired, like, I'm going back to sleep. See, that happens a lot in our spiritual lives. Like, we will walk into a church. We will hear a great message. We'll be like, yes, Lord has convicted me. I need to make a change. I'm going to change. And then as we get back into the week of our lives, we just fall right back asleep. We don't do anything to stay awake. So there's no change in our lives. And sometimes, I got to tell you, it's hard as a preacher. Like, I know that every time I, when I walk in here today, I'm going to preach this message that a good portion of the people in here who are struggling with this, and we all struggle with some area, are not going to do anything about it. We're not. Y'all going to fall right back asleep. And I don't say that out of pride, because when I used to listen to other preachers preach, I'd do it half the time too. I'd be like, ooh, that's a good message. I'm going to follow that. And three days later, boom, it's out of my mind. Jesus says, you, you can't do that. You got to wake up and watch to be aware. You got to keep watch. Watchfulness is a constant attitude of a Christian. Romans 13, Paul says, For you, it is time. It's now is the moment for you to wake from your sleep. 1 Corinthians 13, 16 says, Keep alert, stand firm in your faith. 
We must stand firm. We keep watch against temptations, things that would tempt us to fall asleep, mostly comfort. We must be on guard against false teachers who would preach messages. We talked about this like the last two or three weeks. We must be aware. Do you keep watch in your life? I'll tell, you that, I'll tell you right now, the, the Christians that I see grow in their lives are the Christians that constantly doubt themselves, that they are concerned that they're falling asleep, that they're concerned that they're letting their faith slip. Those are the ones that grow because they put in the effort to stay awake. I've watched it. I've watched it here in the last six years I've been here. Watchfulness to stay awake. Where am I falling asleep? But how do we do that? Good thing is he tells us. He tells us you gotta, you gotta go back to the beginning. He says in verse three, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. He says, remember what you have received. And this is in the present imperative. You English majors, you know what this means. It means it's in the present, it's in the now. It's an ongoing thing. You gotta keep remembering. We tend to forget things in our lives and then we'll have these key things that bring them back uh, to us. Like, you know, we, we take lots of photos today, right? We take too many photos. Like anybody ever like go through your photos, you wanna clean them out and you just stop immediately because you're insanely overwhelmed at the amount of photos you take. I heard someone said, you just gotta clean out your photos every night of the ones you took that day. And I thought that was great. I heard that three years ago and I'm gonna start doing it. I was rolling through my photos the other night and I found a couple old memories and I had forgot completely about these moments until I saw them and it brought everything back. I remember the emotions I was feeling. I remember what happened. You, you guys, you feeling me on this? This is the same way. When we remember what Christ has done for us, it keeps us awake. It brings back when we first found his truth. This is why we come to church it's why we get out of bed and we come here. It's why we sing songs. It's why we, we open scripture. This is why we're on your own. You open up your Bible, not to read it like a newspaper or just check it off a list, but to see what it says to you. This is why throughout your day, you're stopping and you're seeking the Lord and you're asking for guidance and you're for wisdom. This is why that you, you serve in your church. This is why you're praying about who you can invite to church and share Jesus with. This is why we rely on the Holy Spirit, because it keeps us awake. It helps us to remember who Christ is in our lives. The things we do to keep us awake. I was driving to California once. I was going with my, my Finnish buddy, Toivo, and, and we were just in the middle of college, and we didn't have the money, but we weren't smart, and we just went down there to spend it anyway, so we went to Disneyland, and, and we went to Universal Studios, and, and we, we drove one day, and I took the night shift, because I'm like, I can stay up all night, right? And, and what I do, what I do, I started to nod off. And we're up on some of those hills in California where they didn't have guardrails at the time. And so if I didn't wake up, I was off the hill. What did they have to keep me awake? You ever seen those grooves in the road when you're not paying attention, right? Right? And it woke me up. See, these things that I'm talking about, these are the things that keep us from falling asleep. They're like the grooves in, in, in the road. They wake us up. It keeps us awake and focused on how we should be living, how we should be viewing the world. And if we don't do them, we fall asleep. Now, like I said earlier, 
what I'm preaching now is nothing to do. I tell you guys to come to church all the time, more than once a month or when you feel like it, right? I tell you all the time to read your Bible. I tell you all the time to pray. I tell you all the time to serve. I tell you all the time that you need to be in a Bible. I tell you, I'm going to tell you guys probably heard this so many times from me. There are what's the most important, but, you know, I found that there's a difference between those who are like, yeah, I need to start doing this. I need to make the change and those who don't. And it's the same difference that happens in my life. And it's in that same verse. He says, remember then what you have received, heard it, keep it, and here's the key word, repent. 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 Repentance. An acknowledgement of where you're wrong and making a change. You see, it's only when the truth of God gets to our hearts and we repent that we stay awake spiritually. You know, what does repent mean? It means to change direction. I'll tell you right now, I've never fallen asleep at the wheel again. You know why? Because that woke me up. So I don't sleep drive through the night anymore, right? I take breaks more often, even though I have that inner man drive to get there faster than I did the time before. Men, you know what I'm talking about, right? Got to beat our time from the time before. But I was woken up, and so I've made a change. And because I made a change, that hasn't happened before. In the same way, what I'm praying for all of you is in the areas where you have fallen asleep, you will repent. I can't do this work for you. So if you like, just let this message go in one ear and out the other and you're done like, and, and you walk out of here, nothing will change. You actually have to apply this one. You have to think and you have to ask the Lord, where am I, where am I asleep spiritually? Where am I asleep? Is it in my church? Is it in my marriage? Is it in my private walk with the Lord? Where am I asleep? You've got to ask and you've got to want to know. And, and the beautiful thing about repentance, we always think of repentance of like, I used to think of it as like a negative thing. Like I've been bad, so I'm going to the principal's office, right? To get punished. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance is getting rid of the lie and finding the truth. Repentance is acknowledging the reality and getting rid of the dream. That we are insufficient without God that we are weak without his strength, that we are doomed without his salvation, that we can't find our value without his worth. So when I repent and I look to God, I'm reminded of his cross and his salvation and how he never gives up on me. And it drives me to want to put alarm clocks in my life, things to keep me from falling asleep again. And I find peace there because I know that he died for me. I find joy then because I know that it, whatever happens in eternity is, is greater than the struggles down here. I find strength there because he's stronger than I am. Like I said, I find hope there. But it's only when I repent. And so I pray that's what you guys will do today as the Lord brings it to you. And that you'll set alarm clocks in your lives because this is how I know if I really want to get up in the morning or not is if I set myself an alarm clock. If I don't set myself an alarm clock, I don't really want to get up in the morning. I might say it, 
But unless I set an alarm clock, I don't mean it. And so my prayer is for you, wherever you're spiritually asleep, you would repent and you'd set alarm clocks. You'd find people in your life and you'd say, hey, I need you to be my knocker up or I need you to come rat on my window every once in a while and make sure I'm awake in this area. Here are the things I'm changing that I may become spiritually awake. Can you hold me accountable? Can you encourage me? If we do those things, we'll wake up. And when we fall asleep, we have a surefire way of someone who's going to wake us up that we may ultimately continue our role as lampstands for Christ, bringing his hope to a world that desperately needs it. Amen, church?